Hi, everyone. I'm Jill Smokler, and I've got issues. I've got a ton of issues, actually, and I'm pretty sure you do, too. And I'm definitely sure we'll both feel better after talking about them. And that's what this podcast is all about. So let's get started. This past weekend, I took Lily to go see the college that she's going to be starting in the fall. This was the only school that she applied to. She applied early. And Jeff had taken her to see it last year. I hadn't seen it yet. So we drove up on Saturday. We had a lovely day. We went to the college bookstore. We bought some some paraphernalia. I got a coffee mug. She got a sweatshirt. We got our nails done. We went to see the little beach. We just had a lovely afternoon. On Sunday, we woke up and drove around the campus. We went to the little orientation breakfast. Everything's wonderful. I'm looking at the other parents and thinking these these are the faces I'm going to see at the parents' weekend, you know, and all the other years. I'm kind of checking out the men and seeing if there's anyone single. Everything's great. Until she looks at me and says, I don't remember what I loved about it here. I don't know if I can see myself going to college here. And of course, my heart (laughs) drops to the ground and I think, oh my God, who can I call to talk through this catastrophe? Fortunately, I have a wonderful resource to call and that is my friend, Allison. I hop on the phone with Allison and we talk through this situation to which there are not a great many options, but Lily has come around and we have decided to give it a try and she's actually uh, back on board. So that's wonderful. But Allison and I started talking about the climate um, that the juniors and seniors of high school are facing and it's not pretty. And I thought it was pertinent to a larger audience. So we are continuing the conversation today and I'm happy to introduce you to my fabulous friend. Some background on Allison. As the Director of College Counseling at Lake Mary Preparatory School in Seminole County, Florida, and as a college consultant with Dunbar Educational Consultants, Allison Slater-Tate advises high school students and their families to help them find college homes where they may thrive and grow. Allison began college counseling professionally after establishing a career as a freelance writer and editor covering parenting, education, and college admissions for national outlets, including NBC News, The Today Show, Washington Post, Brainchild Magazine, Grown and Flown, and a little place called Scary Mom. Allison, I am so happy to have you here today. Welcome. Hello, Jill. And yes, I mean, I think that it's kind of ironic because not only was I also on my own road trip with my own senior in high school, but, you know, as always, you're kind of um, right there on the pulse of parenting and the issues of parenting uh, for the day. And, you know, if we're not talking about potty training anymore or breast versus bottle, but we're talking about like, what do we do when our kids are you know, struggling a little bit in the high school and college realm. And what I told you, which is something that I've had to tell a whole lot of parents in the past year and a half is that Lily is not alone um, in her uh, ambivalence towards college or a particular college or this time of life. And what we felt and the, and also honestly, the rose colored glasses and the nostalgia that we feel towards a time that might not have been just as exciting as we remember it being. Um, it's, 
it's very hard as a parent to see our children going through this and not feeling the the kinds of feelings that we expected them to feel or that we've been hoping they would feel or that we thought they might feel because we feel that way about our experiences. This generation, I mean, they have lost a lot. Um, COVID has taken a lot from all of us. It has taken a lot from this group of teenagers, this cohort of teenagers, those that are in college, those that are still in high school and honestly all the way down. And I think one of the hardest things to communicate in the last year has been everybody is in such a rush to go back to normal. And when are we going back to normal? Um, A, this kind of is our new normal and B, we're not going back to where we were and our children are not going to be the same. And we do need to adjust our expectations for what they would feel, what they would know, where they would be um, developmentally because they missed it. And the one thing we can't do is give back those two years. We can't, we can't put them back. There's no fixing it. There's no magic button. It's so sad. So I think that it it is really sad. It, it's really sad. And I can say this now pretty easily because I've been processing it for a while and I've been seeing it face to face with so many children. But um, it's I've cried a lot. I've cried a lot in the last few years, um, both for my own kids and for everybody else's kids. Um, it is sad. The one thing we cannot do for these kids that they absolutely need is more time to be kids. And unfortunately, this is their life. And I do think that when people point out, and I thought this too, even at the beginning, you know, kids go through war and kids go through times of intense, volatile struggle in the world that forces beyond their control. This, this is our kids war. And there is a war by the way, going on at the same time, which is part of the problem. Um, but I mean, this is kind of their home front, you know, like this is their, the war on their territory is this COVID pandemic, um, two years that kind of took a, a chunk of childhood away from them. That is important in many ways. I mean, they, if you think about it and what I told you, our seniors, our class of 2022 seniors have not had a normal year of high school since they were freshmen in high school. Um, and that is a very stark image for, for them. I think that, you know, I told you my senior, he had his first sports season this year. He had his first homecoming dance, his first prom, his first girlfriend. Um, he had so many firsts all happen in the span of the last six months. And he, I think if you asked him um, directly, he probably wouldn't want to talk to you, but I think that he would say, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm not sure he would have the social skills to talk to you, but I think he, he would say he's not ready. Like he doesn't want to talk about college. And this senior class uh, and uh, colleges have said this to me all year. We've talked about it a lot. They are act like juniors. Like they're not ready yet. They need a little more time to cook before they're finished, you know, and can be served on a platter. Um, the university of Alabama, I saw one of their professors speak and he said, they've been calling the the freshmen who are at Alabama this year, the feral freshmen, because they came straight from COVID into college (laughs) without really having normal high school there at the end. And, um, I was at a college yesterday talking to, um, someone in the mental health center there. And she said that for the first time ever, they they'll get like notifications that somebody's concerned about a student and they'll go to talk to the student. The student's already packed up and left. Like, they're just like, 
and I'm done. <laughs> Peace out. Like, and she said they're, you know, um, they, and if they're that feral, then they're probably just happy to let them go. <laughs> well, well, and here's the thing. And here's the issue for parents like us, um, facing launching a child to college in the midst of this and right after this, um, they, uh, colleges are not mental health facilities. Yeah. They're educational institutions. They're not ready for this. Like this is overwhelming for them and they don't have the staff to handle it. Um, and even the colleges that have gotten money to beef up their staffs and to, you know, fortify their mental health services can't find the staff to hire because they're all taken up, um, with everybody else. And so there is a a terrifying thought. That's a really... Yeah, that's really scary to think of sending your kid off in this environment with all this turmoil to a place where you're not watching them all the time. You're so disconnected and they don't have the eyes on them that they need. You don't. And I wrote a story for the Today Show after um, the soccer player at Stanford uh, died by suicide. And Mm -hmm. I asked colleges what can parents, because we also have a real problem after two years of having a lot of interaction with our kids and a lot of our kids being right in front of our faces, um, we, there is a problem with parents separating from kids mm-hmm. now to college because we've basically been acting like their RA and their dean and their everything for the last two years. And now you're asking us not to know anything. And so they go off to college and there's FERPA laws and they're over 18 and, and colleges can't really reach out to you in the same way. Um, as a high school can. So that's doubly terrifying. Um, And I asked colleges, so what can parents do? And they said, you know, there are things you can do to help both reassure yourself and reassure your child that you've got them. And some of those things are when you go on college tours and when you go to things like orientation, you ask like, where is the mental health center? Where's the wellness center or the mental health center? Just like you would, where's the dining hall or where do they get their mail or Mm -hmm. where you normalize it? Because that is absolutely a normal thing now. Mm -hmm. And I think Gen Z is really good about articulating um, mental health issues and they don't stigmatize it the way older generations do, but you still want to find out because when I've done reporting with college students, they've told me, Um, I forgot where they said those mental health facilities were, I forgot how to make an appointment. Like I had to look it up and you don't want any barriers to access for your own kids. So once once the kids are out of their parents, you know, control and oversight and all that stuff, are they, they're still willing to seek that help, even though they're not getting nagged the same way, I hope. So yes, actually the kids are, I, when I did reporting for colleges, um, for college stories last year and there, and I started reporting by the way, because some of my former students texted me and said, I think I want to hurt myself. Mm. Um, and they were on campuses far away from home and they were reaching out to me and I'm like, because they're not actually my students anymore. They're over 18. They're at campuses in Michigan and DC and other places. And every, the story last year was, you know, oh, if the kids could just go to campus, everything would be fine because they'd be on campus and they'd be together. That was not true. They were on campus. They were not together. They were Mm -hmm. isolated, but the isolation wasn't the problem as much as the lack of adults uh, because Mm -hmm. adults weren't working on campuses. So the kids were online in their dorm rooms with no adults 
and often with no RAs uh, and with no organized activities because of COVID. And they also were doing online learning, which is completely different from learning in person and interacting with people. And they were feeling extremely overwhelmed. And every single kid that I talked to had sought out mental health services uh, by the middle of the first semester last year. Met about half of them had never had mental health services before, mm-hmm. but every single one had sought them out. So I will say, first of all, I'm a huge fan of Gen Z. I'm a first a huge fan of teenagers. I will not listen to anybody criticize them because these teenagers have gone through um, learning, growing up with um, the school shootings. And, you know, these kids were like in first grade, second grade, when Newtown happened and Sandy Hook happened, they've grown up knowing what a hard corner is in their classrooms and how they have to hide there. My teenagers were in a real school shooting and had to push furniture up against the door to keep their classmates from being able to come in because that's Parkland protocol and listen to their classmates beg to come in, but they (laughs) weren't safe if they opened the door. Um, They have uh, been through political instability and an attempted coup on our country. They have been through an actual war in the Ukraine and Russia. They have been through a global pandemic that shut the world down and watched their parents bake sourdough bread and watch Tiger King while they had to continue (laughs) going to school. And they had to continue training and conditioning and being ready to go back to sports at any given time because, but they had to do it by themselves um, because, you know, if they weren't ready to play on their sports teams, they might not get to go to college on a scholarship. Uh, Nobody, nobody gave these kids a break. Nobody gave these kids a moment to step off the treadmill. Their stakes were never lowered and they have overcome things. What the kids have told me is, we are resilient. We're tired of hearing the word resiliency. We're exhausted. And the adults in the room have not done what they need to do to make us okay. And we're tired. So they get to college and they're tired and the treadmill keeps going and they don't have time to exhale. We never, ever give these kids, we never say, okay, you've done enough. They never hear that. They hear, okay, now you have to do more. Once you get to college, Now you have to find your research opportunities and your internships and you have to be career ready. You have to be ready to get a job. Like you're not going to get a job if you're not doing this, this, and this, because everybody else is, they never, ever hear that it's enough. So of course they're exhausted. And of course they need mental health support. I need mental health support, just thinking about it. And, um, and they are a hugely strong and resilient group. And we're the ones who are the problem, not them but they do seek out help. However, last year when everything was online, usually professors go over where the mental health facilities are. There's like, you know, uh, events and orientation things and things like that, where they tell the kids that, or they drill it into their heads. None of those things happened. So the kids were kind of like, where do I even figure out where to do that? And if you have a roommate and you're on a campus where no other buildings are open, where do you Zoom a therapist and have privacy? on the lawn, um, in an empty building? Are you allowed to go in there? A lot of the kids said, I don't even know where to go to Zoom a therapist. So whose fault is that? I don't know. It is quite the predicament. And it's, yeah, these kids, they are, it's, yeah, it's. it's Yeah, so we've had increases in aggression and discipline behavior issues in high schools this year and in middle schools, there's fighting, there's threats. Um, there's kids having panic attacks in bathrooms, 
pretty much every week. Uh, the college that I was talking to yesterday said that they had a Baker Act, which is a 72 hour hold, psychiatric hold. Um, they had to uh, put students in psychiatric holds every single day of the week last week. Um, it's happening at high schools. And I will tell you, having worked in a high school before COVID, it was happening in high schools before COVID too. I think that parents are seeing more of it now because of just seeing their children more. Um, however, we had a mental health crisis before COVID and now we have a mental health crisis and we also have kids who have missed developmental milestones and we have kids who've just missed high school. We're in and awesome so, shape. It's awesome. It's, it's awesome. awesome. I know Everything I'm really fun awesome. at parties. <laughs> well, you and I both have always been, so yeah. <laughs> well, no, you have been more. We are um, fun though, when we want to be. When we want to be around people we want to be fun with. That's that's a qualifier. Well, how do we craft these kids and they're too late to be crafted, but how what do we do this when we send these kids off to school? What can we still do with the little time we have left to sort of salvage the mess that that they've come from? I mean, I think that number one. Um, we make sure that they do have the support they need. Uh, and I think that you demand from colleges to know what training are you giving your faculty to look for mental health crises? Um, how often do you give that training? Uh, what are the services available? How many services are available? What, how long is the wait time? And how aware are students of how to access it? Uh, you make sure that your child knows where and how to get um, help. If your child already has mental health services at home, you make sure that they have care that carries over to college. So whether that's private or whether that's through the college, you just make sure there's no gaps in the system. Um, I've talked to therapists who say, you know, we definitely we don't want to overparent. God help us all if we're helicopter parents, uh, which is not a term I love. I, I think that parents have gotten a lot of mixed messages over the years and we're doing our best. Um, but I do think that there are some things, especially if you have a child who's fragile, that you can take off their plate. For instance, if your child's on medication and they are uncertain about how they would get the medication at college, it's okay for you to pick it up and send it to them. Like that's not taking adulting away from them. They can still adult in 150 other ways. Uh, but that one thing you can make sure happens because it's a big responsibility. And when we're dealing with body chemistry, we don't really want to screw around with um the stability as much as possible. So That's I think that really you pick and point. choose. Yeah. I mean, you pick and choose things. You, you definitely want them to take responsibility and to be their own person and to give them that independence and that empowerment to, you know, be in charge of themselves. But if they say to you, I do need help in this area, do not be like, no, suck it up, buttercup. Like, okay, that area I'm helping you with because that's an important area. What else can we do for them in bigger ways? Um, first of all, as parents, I think we adjust our expectations. And this is something that I've had to do with our teachers and our faculty. We've really had to have a conversation about the fact that, yeah, they don't know the math that they should know as seniors, probably. Um, I've also said it to colleges. When I see colleges and when I talk to colleges, I'm like, I hope you know they're probably not coming in as prepared as they would have before the pandemic, but it's probably not happening. Um, and you know what? That's so not their fault. I think that our 
um, our gut reaction is to be like, they, they're not working hard enough or they're not like, they're not, we're not holding them accountable or we're coddling them. I, I hear a lot of those words. And when I talk to the kids and ask them, they're like, we're exhausted. They went from staying home and being in their pajamas and doing school from home. And usually only like half a day, because when you're doing online school, nobody makes you do like the entire six and a half hours to going full force back into school with their athletics, with their extracurriculars, with their college applications and a full day of school. There's a lot of words and a lot of criticism for the teenagers, especially because they're not behaving well. I mean, they, they are, they do have attitudes. They are like crawling into a hole instead of talking to us. They, um, you know, might get to their college that they swore they wanted to go to and be like, no, I don't. And I think that the best thing we can do for our kids is lower the stakes because everything I see leading to mental health issues with our kids is about stakes. What happens if I am not perfect? What happens if I get a B? What happens if I get a D? What happens if I don't get into this college? What happens if I get to college and I can't do it? They truly believe that any misstep is going to result in absolute disaster and ruin in their lives. And we have to take that down a notch and it's us. Like that's a parenting issue. Um, And I think that that requires us doing work on ourselves first, because we have to believe that no matter what happens, they will be okay. And you would think that after the past two years of literally every fake and artificial wall falling down around us in the structure of our lives, we would believe that anything could happen and it will be okay, but we don't. We still think that everything has to happen like this or else our kids are never going to get employed and we're going to be paying for them forever. And I don't know, like they're going to be on on our payroll. I, I have no idea what we think, but it's not true. And, you know, life is not linear. It's wavy. And some of these kids might have wavier past than they might've had, had this not happened. And they're still going to be fine, but they're not going to be fine if they don't believe that they're going to be fine. And that starts with us because our kids, they believe they, first of all, they know everything about us. They know every single facial expression we have, every single change of tone of voice. And if we, it's very annoying. It is super annoying, right? <laughs> yeah. Like we installed their buttons and now like they think that it's okay to know like everything about us. We can't hide anything. Right. It should go the other way. I mean, we can know every single thing about them. We, we, we delivered them and we put them there, but it should not go they're the other really way. Good at bluffing. I think it's all the social media curation. Like they're really good at making things look fine when they're not. Certainly fine. nothing that we did. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what? Stop it. How are the colleges at understanding what the kids have been through? Is there any level of that? There are certain colleges that are doing it better than others. And I'm going to shout out um, College of Worcester in uh, Ohio, which is not a college that, you know, people in Florida talk a lot about. But I will tell you the most humane thing I've heard during the pandemic is that they saw how hard online learning was for college students. They actually believe in mental health support and they walked the walk. They came out with a policy and said, as long as you're enrolled in three classes a semester, three classes, which is less than a normal course load. Usually a normal course load for a small liberal arts college is four classes a semester. But they said, as long as you're enrolled in three, we will give you a fifth year for free to finish your degree. So if you need to slow down, if you need to like take your time. If all of this is disruptive, 
we got you for free. And that the financial implications, wow. Gen Z is very financially frugal and very financially practical. And I've heard from college students, they tell me, I have a lot of friends who would take time off for mental health, but they're afraid that they'll lose their scholarship or they're afraid that they'll lose their financial aid mm-hmm. or that they will have wasted their parents' money or their parents will be disappointed. Um, if you can t- start taking away those things, those barriers and let the kids know that it's okay um, to work on yourself, to uh, take time if you need it, to just take a moment. Uh, that is super important. So there are colleges that are more in tune with that than others. Unfortunately, my child is not attending one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think that that's an important consideration when you are looking at colleges. I mean, you and I have seniors, but you are, we also have younger children. I am very closely paying attention to how colleges are treating their kids through this and how they are handling the kids who are arriving on their campuses, um, you know, and maybe not what they expected. Uh, So it's important. It's really important to to hold them account, hold the colleges accountable for how they treat their students. Your students are consumers and this is a huge purchase. And it's also a place that they have to call home for four years or less Mm -hmm. or more. And you want the people who are there to treat them like human beings. They are humans. And I do think that people forget that sometimes they treat the kids like they're students, you know, they're students, 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 they're humans and they have bad days and good days and they want to be loved and they want to be accepted. And what I see when they come into my door the only thing they talk about is whether or not their parents are going to be disappointed in whatever it is, their grades, their college choice, um, all of those kinds of things. There's a little bit of friends too. Like, what are my friends going to think? But it's mostly their parents. And I think we all need to take a look in the mirror and say, like, what message am I actually sending my child? And do I believe it? You know? Oh, that's so sad as a parent to hear. It is. But you know what? They're very forgiving. And we have time. And... <laughs> You know, I, I think we all make mistakes in parenting and I, I definitely have, <laughs> don't ask my children. I make 105 mistakes a day, but it, you can also make up for it. Well, it's, and it's, re, it's, it's reassuring that they still care what we think. And it's, you know, it's nice in that yeah. way. Um, so I'll put that little positive spin on it. <laughs> I, um, I tell parents all the time. I'm like, I know that you think they don't listen to you and they don't like a hundred, like 99% of the time, they are not listening to anything you say. Right. And they don't care what your opinion is. But if you were in my office listening to the way that they can repeat back to me, every single thing that their parents have ever said about grades, classes, colleges, I'll suggest a college and they'll be like, my mom doesn't like that school. She says, it's not for me. Like, okay, well, great. I'm sure the last time your mom saw it was 30 years ago. So probably, probably changed a little bit since then, but eh, it's really hard to get over that perception now. So it's amazing how those little reporters managed to get all of those conversations that you didn't even think about. And then the important ones just really don't penetrate the same way. Well, it's like when they were learning to talk and you would drop a jar on your toe and you would yell a curse word. And then suddenly that was their favorite word for two weeks in a row. But it was so cute coming from a (laughs) two-year-old. Exactly. It's really, really cute when my daughter uh, repeated the C word after being at a party with teenagers on Easter Sunday in front of my grandma. That was awesome. Oh, oh, that's a whole nother level. We didn't get over that one for a while. That was I know. That's much worse than my fuck it, like at preschool. Yeah, that's, that's next level. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> Jason called Charlie an asshole for weeks after I dropped a jar on my, you know, toe. So, and he used it appropriately though. And in context. So I was really proud of that. But yeah. It's, it's a parenting win. Yeah. Parenting win. Let's talk about social media and the impact that has had on Gen Z and this whole time period for them. Yeah. So there is research out there and studies that, you know, prove that Instagram and in fact, Instagram itself has the research, like they did it themselves and they've reported it themselves that it does lead to depression and addiction in some, in some, uh, areas of the population of adolescents, not every single one. Um, it's not everybody, but it is, there is a good chunk that does, uh, get addicted and, or it leads to depression. If they are addicted, they can't control how long they are scrolling. And what I've learned through reporting is that the longer you scroll, once Instagram or TikTok gets to the bottom of its well of things it knows you like, it starts indiscriminately like suggesting things. And so if you search for healthy recipes, um, after like an hour and a half, you're going to get to eating disorder content because Mm. they've given you all the healthy stuff that they know about. And then they're like, "Mm, this looks healthy too, but it's really, you know, about how to starve yourself. So that's kind of how that ends up happening. But there's also a couple of other things about social media that I think it's important to remember because I think that when we start wringing our hands and like talking about social media as, you know, Gen X parents or, or even millennial parents, um, the teenagers, the tune you out because you sound old and judgmental and really in the midst of the pandemic, that social media actually saved the kids too. Like it, the kids did get sick of, they got sick of social media and they got sick of, um, having to interact through social media alone. And definitely it did lead to more feelings of isolation, but it also helped keep them connected and it, mm-hmm. it was a lifeline for them. And I think that it's really important to recognize that and to have a measured tone about social media when you're talking to or around teenagers. Um, I also think that one thing that we tend to leave out of the discussion is the fact that after 9-11, you know, before 9-11, we didn't have a 24-hour news cycle at all. Like all of us had a break from news. Mm-hmm. After 9-11, we did not, any of us. And it's wearing on all of us. So when we talk about social media leading to isolation and depression, we're also really talking about a 24-hour news cycle and the fact that none of us get a break from an influx of information. Whether that information is you know, news updates on Ukraine and horrible images that we can't get out of our mind, or whether it's like gossip from your social group in high school it's all still coming at you 24 hours a day and you can't stop it. And so I think that it's really important to um, remember that if you tell a kid, you just can't be on social media, or I want you to reduce your screen time, you're taking away something that's important to them. And you're also taking away their own agency and empowerment. Like you need to, I think that it's the conversation that you have is more about like, I'm feeling overwhelmed by all of this information all of the time. And I think I might try to, you know, figure out a way to limit my exposure to it because it's a lot for my brain. Like, do you feel mm-hmm. the same way? Like that kind of conversation gives them empowerment and treats them like a person with agency who is able of, able to make their own decisions and able to recognize their own um, feelings instead of being like, you're, you're on your phone too much. And the kids did say to me when I was reporting 
on the, at the beginning of the year about coming back to school after the pandemic, they said, you know, my parents are always like, they see me on my phone for a second. They're like, get off your phone. You're on your phone too much. Get off your phone. They're like, a, my parents are on their phones. So right. hypocrite much. And they're like, and B, I just want a minute just to, I want to zone out. I want to just scroll just for a minute. And that doesn't mean I have a problem. It means that I need a minute. And I thought that was really powerful because, you know, I'm guilty of it too. Like, get off your phone. Like, what are you doing? Like, could you look up for a second? And really the kids are like, I've been at school all day. I haven't probably been able to use my phone and it's a way for me to numb out. And sometimes you need to numb out. Like right. it's okay. To and of all the ways you can numb out, I guess being on the phone for a little bit is not the worst. Yeah. There are lots of other ways to numb out that they're also <laughs> embarking on, but exactly. yeah, I mean, that is the thing. Like, I think that we're because of our own anxiety and our own fear as parents, we can get really reflexive about what we say or what we decide about our kids. And just remember, like they've been through this too. Like we all went through this at the same time and in the same place. We don't have any more perspective on it than they do necessarily. And they have opinions that are worth listening to. And you might just want to say like, what helps you? Like, yeah. what can I do to help you decompress at the end of the day? Is that giving you an hour where I don't talk to you? Is that, um, you know, like making dinner and just leaving it out for you? Like what would make things easier? And they can actually tell you and they can, you know, and when they're going off to college, what can I do to make this easier on you? What, how do you want me to communicate with you while you're at college text message, maybe one FaceTime a week? Like what, what would be supportive for you and let them, let them decide because they're, they're adults, they're little adults and they're trying really hard and they're, they're, um, the more we can empower them, because when you think about everything that they weren't in charge of in the last two years, everything that they had no control over, uh, the more control we can give them means that they won't see control in other ways, like limiting their food intake or taking over medicating themselves, like those kinds of things. Like maybe we can give them control so that they don't need to go that way. Okay. I think that's, I think that's what's good. Such good advice. Thank you, Allison. I don't know everything, but I'm just trying to learn and I try to ask them. And I have found that if you ask them, they are so willing to talk. Maybe not, you know, to you um, by themselves, but if you can get them in a car, you know, the old tricks, like teenagers always talk to you more in the car. Yeah. Um, but also if you can get their friends around and you just ask their friends, um, sometimes they'll start a conversation and they'll talk. Well, you were you were the first friend of mine who who with older kids really, when asked the question "How are the kids?" didn't answer with "good." Answered with, <sighs> and it a was so refreshing to me, and b terrified me. But I always appreciated it. So thank you very much for that, and for your advice this week, and for being here. Um, I adore you, and I appreciate you. I love you, Jill. And yeah, the older kids are scary, but you know what? I love them. Like they're so real and they tell you what they think for all their like crazy Instagram pictures and their ability to take just the right angle, which is crazy. I think they're so fantastic and so interesting and so authentic. And it's an exciting time um, to, to be with kids. Uh, I think that you just have to um, 
you know, be able to get around your own anxiety long enough to sit with them a little bit, but they're so awesome. There's a story, there's a TikTok um, this week uh, where some woman in Colorado, like met a guy at a bar and she didn't get his name and she didn't give him her number and she needed to find him and she put it out on TikTok. And of course it went viral. And the people who found him for her with the very little information she gave were a group of 12 year old girls at a sleepover in Alabama. <laughs> How awesome is that? Like, they're so awesome. They're so, so awesome. Oh, I love that's funny. So much. And I love these kids will send me TikToks and they send me text messages and they'll like see me on social media and they are the most supportive, awesome, like self-aware people. They're such great little people, but they're not little people. They're big people. So I think that it's just important to know they are resilient. They, They are not weak. We have not coddled them to death. They've actually, they're just tired and we're all tired. Like they're feeling what we're feeling. And it is important for us to say, you could like, you could stop every single thing in your life and you will still be okay. The sun will rise tomorrow and they need to know that and that you won't feel any differently about them. Maybe we don't go to the college that we applied to (laughs) and it's okay. It's okay. It will all be okay. Take a deep breath, text your friend, have her talk you down. It'll be okay. (laughs) Yep. They get there eventually. Yep. All right. Thank you again. Love you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening today and come back next week for another issue. She's Got Issues is produced by Kristen Kelbley, Gwen Sound, Kira Shine, and me, Jill Spokler. Please do us a favor and rate and review the podcast and tell a friend because she's got issues too.